This is the Living Fearless Today podcast, a show that helps men like you and me who are struggling to get unstuck and overcome fear to live confidently and courageously. I'm your host and transformation coach, Mike Forrester, helping you create the change you want now. Join me as I interview men who've conquered their challenges and soared to success as they spill their secrets on how they live fearless today. Well, hello and welcome back, my friend. Well, this week I'm joined by James Smith and James has gone completely through the transformation, right? He was a lawyer, ended up getting into some gambling and then um, went through incarceration. But what I want you to take away from this is the transformation that has occurred, that change is possible for all of us, regardless of where we're at, what we've gone through or currently going through. So I really hope that from this conversation, you're going to see hope is even out there in the midst of whatever situation you're confronted with. So James, how are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing great. Awesome. Well, what does life look like for you today on the professional side of life? Well, it looks just great. I'm excited where I am, excited about what I'm doing. I retired from the pastorate, uh, December of last year, uh, and of course, started a podcast about uh, four months before retiring because I wanted to keep my ministry going. So I started that and wanted people to tell the story and share a word of encouragement, uh, inspiration, and hopefully transformation. And that's been going well. I've, I've now done over, uh, 115, uh, podcasts, uh, within the last year. I, after I retired from the church, my home church in Lewisburg, North Carolina, uh, lost, uh, her pastor abruptly, preached on that Friday, uh, no, I'm sorry, at a funeral on that Friday, preached on that Sunday, and that Monday he had passed. And mm. the, the deacons called me to come down and, and help out. So they have asked me to serve as their interim pastor. So I'm still pastoring now. My wife tells me that I'm busier now than I was when I was pastoring. So that's kind of my life. I still do a lot of workshops. As a matter of fact, I've got a workshop to do uh, this coming Saturday. Uh, I'll be sh- sharing with some elderly at a church about uh, things that they can do to prepare for their elderly uh, life. And I do a lot of workshops on uh, church conflict. Uh, I call it, uh, you know, what we kind of call it, uh, I guess, kind of dealing with the, these issues in the church. And that's kind of where I am. I stay very busy. And even when I'm not at the church that I'm in, I'm pastor. I'm still trying to honor some commitments that I had before going there. So I'm, I've been called to do quite a few uh, messages for pastors who 
on vacation or doing this or that. They asked me to fill in for them. So that's kind of where I am. And just stay busy. My wife, my wife and I, you know, get on the road every once in a while. Just came back from Wilmington. We might, you know, I'm here doing a week, so I don't have a whole lot to do. We, we might decide we're going to go to Asheville, where you name it. We just have a great time. So you're kind of like air quotes retired, right? Yeah, yeah, that, 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 that's, that's the way to put it. You know, I'm, uh, she, she says I should have kept pastoring, you know, <laughs> but uh, that's where I am. But I'm enjoying it. I really, I really am. Very cool. So you've had some transition time in there. You've authored three books. You're um, hosting your own podcast. Congratulations on 115 episodes. That's fantastic. And, uh, yeah, you're still filling in and doing a lot of stuff. I mean, that's, that's phenomenal. Um, on the personal side, you mentioned about, you know, doing some trips and stuff like that. What does life look like for you on the, on the personal side of life? Well, the personal side is great. You know, my, my wife is doing well. Uh, we like, like I say, we go out, we travels. She rides with me to church on Sundays. We make sure we go out to eat. Nobody works, you know, have come back to try to cook. Uh, the kids are grown. The grandkids will come over every once in a while. You know, they don't like being around us too much because we want them to do the right thing. So they go home, <laughs> but. But that's kind of where, where, where it is. You know, we, we, we'll take a trip. We, I think we've taken two. We wrote, we've written out, I think about three times, uh, this year. Like we went to, I know, Williamsburg, been to Wilmington, uh, you know, Asheville and what have you. And sometimes it's just a matter of just riding out, you know, to go out to eat. We'll do that on a, on a regular basis. As a matter of fact, I was just talking to my wife a few minutes ago. I said, you want to go to breakfast tomorrow morning? You know, that that kind of thing. We just enjoy yeah. ourselves. But life is really good. I have to admit, I can't complain at all about a thing. Uh, I've just been, I've been blessed. Um, That's family, cool. Family's been blessed. And I have nothing to say, but thank you. <laughs> yeah. For the good life. And- yeah, and it's awesome for where you're at because I mean, like that has not been the path and the journey. And so somebody could look at you and just go, "Ah, eh, James, you know, you've had it made forever." But it's like in the journey, <laughs> there's been those bumps and detours and kind of road closed and adjustments that you've gone through. So when you had first started out, um, you were a lawyer for a while. How did you um, get to being a lawyer and was that something that it was like since you were a kid you were just like this is the path i want to go and and you went for it or how did that develop well uh i'd always said i want to be a doctor uh but uh i went to a school in uh, in kind of in the country you know rural didn't have all of the uh uh i guess information that you probably needed to have and so I didn't have the best background in the sciences. Uh so when I went off to 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 college, uh I decided I was gonna major in uh accounting and that's what I was doing. Uh and I but I had a friend who decided to go to law school 
and a law school was at the same university where we were attending. And so he went in on a combined program. The combined program was you got to go in at the end of your junior year so you could graduate uh, from undergraduate school and do one year of law school. And so he told me about it. I said, hmm, that sounds exciting. You know, I, I knew some lawyers in the hometown, and I said, hmm, I think I'm going to apply to go to law school. And so that's what I did. And so I didn't go to, to undergraduate school thinking about law, but after talking with him and finding out seeing the guys over at the law school and they were, they looked like they were having a good time. I said, Oh, I think that's, that is where I want to go. So I applied and I was accepted. And so I entered law school and, uh, um, graduated from undergraduate school with my, uh, bachelor of science in commerce. And I received one year of law school at the same time. So I actually finished law school uh, in six years, you know, finished that at law school in six years rather than seven years, four years, and then an additional three years. I did it in six years. And, of course, uh, that's where I, I was. I came out and uh, uh, worked over in Raleigh as Deputy Director of Wake Up Counter Opportunities. Uh, I went down to college and I taught there for, for uh, a while. And then I uh, took the bar and, of course, passed the bar, went back to my hometown uh, where it was a very small town. And I was the, um, actually the first and only African-American lawyer to practice in my hometown, Lewisburg. And at the time, I was really the youngest African-American lawyer practicing in the state of North Carolina. You know, I was 26 years of age. Uh, and, you know, just enjoy life. I thought I was on top of the world, look cocky, or how we can get. And so uh, that was me, I, I developed a reputation of being a very good lawyer, but I was cocky. You know, you couldn't tell me too much. And I, I knew I had made it and <laughs> all the, all the one from my family, uh, who had, you know, had done that. Uh, uh nobody else had gone to law school or accomplished any, you know, second, I, I call, uh, any, any degrees other, further than the first, Four years of college, I had a uh, art who did that. But other than that, you know, that was my life. Got off into into gambling with a uh, few other lawyers who were uh, gambling. I was playing poker, and I started playing poker. A long story behind it, but uh, when I first started, I was. I, I really enjoyed it, you know, because I knew a little bit about gambling. You know, even in high school, I would go down to Lewisburg. We were from the rural area, but we would catch the bus and ride down to in the city of Lewisburg and go to the pool hall and, you know, play some pool and uh, play for 50 cents or a dollar, you know, that kind of thing. Enjoy myself. I was having a, a great time. And so when we I got into poker, it was just a, a – 
a step up from my gambling, you know, but I already do about gambling. And of course, I, I really enjoyed it. We had lots of fun. We had a little, uh, I call circle that we, uh, went and we'll go from one town to the other one where the guys were living and, uh, there's significant others would, you know, fix, you know, the drinks and the meals and, you know, we get there on a Friday and might not leave until sometime Monday, you know, take a nap on the couch if we wanted to take a nap. And, you know, if we got broke, uh, other lawyers or bondsmen, because they're all professional, will let you have money. You know, uh, I would let them have money. So we were just having fun. Uh, won money, lost money, no problem. And I think somewhere along the line, it, the, it, the love of it kind of took over. The, you know, it was like I really needed to be there and uh, I didn't know when to stop. And I found myself going down, going down, and going down. And when I know, knew anything, I was, had lost everything that I had accumulated properties. Uh, my wife of five years and I separated it. Divorce, and uh, it just was a downhill sparrow, and so uh, I became relatively depressed and just didn't see my way out, or didn't think I had a way out. You know, I'm certain there was a way out, but I didn't think I had a way out. So I almost I contemplated committing suicide. I never forget, I got up that morning and uh, I pulled my pistol out of the drawer and uh, headed to the office, got to the office and sat there and was really contemplating just taking my life because I just felt like I had messed completely up. I didn't know how to, how to deal with it. At least at that time, I didn't know how to deal with it. You know, if I, if, mm. if it was that, well, I've been perfect fine, you know, but, but at that time, I didn't know how to deal with it. Uh, but my mom, I'm an only child and my mom kept coming into my, my mind. What, my, what would my mom do? How she's going to make it? And I think that kind of helped me abandon that idea. And so I just got in my car, start riding around. I guess it was probably about 10 o'clock. was getting hungry because I just left out of the house without eating any breakfast that day because I was just really down. It was, uh, and I got on 85, started riding, riding, and ended up at a restaurant in a little place called Oxford, North Carolina. And while I was eating, I uh, just looked out of the window, and here is the uh, Central Carolina Bank. And obviously, my mind just started roving. You know, it's just like it's a, oh, boy, if I could just get my, my hands on $50,000, I could just pay off all my bills, uh, pay off all my debts, get some of my properties back. And then I could just start all over like nothing happened, you know, crazy thinking, but that was what was going through my mind. I, I rode, I got out 
and wrote, just rode by the bank a couple of times and kept riding through the city, just thinking. And then something just hit me. and said, heck, get caught or not. You know, I pulled right up to the front of the bank, hopped out, ran in, said, stick up, give me your money. They threw a bag of money over. I put it in the car and took off. Well, I tell you the, the next story, you're going to laugh. The next story is really funny. I drove about a, I drove about a, I guess about a half a mile and, uh, got pulled over by, uh, a police officer. Now, I was known all through the five county area, the district, what we call five county district, which was the NAF judicial district. Mainly because I had, I had run for district court judge. So I was very popular. Everybody knew me. Uh, if the uh, law had been like it is now, uh, I would have been the first African American district court judge in the district back in 1976. I, I ran the primary and I got 47% of the vote. You know, mm. uh, other opponent got only 40%, but in the, uh, runoff, you know, uh, uh, I got beat, uh, uh with, uh, uh, another, uh, white gentleman who was a lawyer in a, another county. Uh, so everybody knew me. And when this, um, officer came up to the car, obviously the bag of, of money had exploded. Uh, they had put some dye in, in, in the bag. So it had exploded. And I, trying to figure out what my car was shaking while all the where all the smoke was coming from. My eyes started running water and then I, I when I looked in the back I realized what had happened. I got out, took a bag of money and I threw it out across the street, out across the the field, and just got back in the car and was sitting there. And so when the police officer came up to me, first thing he said Lawyer, are you okay? And he could tell that my eyes was running water. I said, yeah, uh, I'll be all right. He said, you sure? I said, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. He, he knew me, you know, I and I recognized him. He said, okay, you know, go ahead on. He let me go. I pulled off. And I, get, I guess I went for about another uh, half a mile. You know, it's kind of hard to determine that distance. Uh, half a mile to a mile. And I got pulled over by the highway patrol. And uh, I, I just got out of the car then and was walking back to the to the back of the car. And uh, highway patrol stopped a little ways back. And by that time, the officer who had seen me before came by and hollered at the one and said, I just stopped him. He's okay. And the highway patrol told me, okay, go get on back in the car. Go ahead on. <laughs> this is all that's true. It's, it's, it's funny. I told you it'll be something laughing. And so I got in the car. But then it all started coming together. You know, I, I knew that they knew who, who it was. They knew me. And so I just decided, you know, to go to my former partner's office. And we had already separated gone our separate ways. That, that that was because of my gambling too. And uh but I went to his office, 
told the secretary what had happened. My former partner was not in. He was in D.C. at the time. And so I, when I said to her what happened, she said, what? I told her, I said, I threw my whole law practice down the drain. She said, no, mm-hmm. she, she didn't believe me. You know, she just didn't believe that. She said, I, I said, yeah, I said, I threw my whole law practice down the drain. And, and uh, she said, no, you did. She thought I was really joking. And so I said, call uh, Frank Ballance. And he was a lawyer in another uh, town that was about 18 miles away. So she called him. He came up. And by the time he came up, uh, one of my uh, friends who was a doctor came over, uh, you know, cause everybody was getting called and, you know, all this crazy stuff had happened. Right. And so, uh, he examined me. And by that time, the a lawyer had gotten there and, uh, the swarm of officers pulled up in the backyard of my former partner's office. My lawyer went out and, uh, they asked if I was there. He said, yes, he's there. He's here. He's ready to turn himself in. Uh, they allowed me to ride with my lawyer back over to Oxford before the majesty. And of course, they placed me under a $100,000 bond. And because it was such a, uh, I, I would say now thinking back on it, because it was me and it was so out, out of character. They thought I must have had a mental breakdown. So the next day, mm. they had me to come go before the judge, and they, you got to know how I must be feeling because all these folks I know well, you know, I don't practice law before the judge and all of this. And so I'm sitting up there, and so uh, the judge, I never forget Judge Hopgood. We talked even sometime now. He's not doing well at all, but he uh, ordered me to go to. Uh, Dorothea Dix Miller Hospital for a six-week observation. I stayed there about uh, three weeks, and I just, during that time that I was there, that's when I did all the reflection. There was nothing else to do but think. Uh, you know, my whole life just flashed against me, what I had done. I had thrown my whole life away. And uh, I think it was at that point, part that time when my faith just kind of kicked in you know my mom was very uh dedicated christian uh and uh it it you know i've always i was always in church but you know i had just kind of done my own thing you know but i knew you know uh i i i i had faith and i i it kicked in and so I just say, anything that has done this to me, I just got to give it up. And I just uh, instantaneous said, hey, I'm not going to drink any more strong drinks. I'm going to not gamble anymore. It's all gone. I'm finished with it. And believe it or not, that was it. I do. I was going to get some time. I didn't even worry about it at all. Uh, I, all I wanted to do was go in and get it behind me. And that's what I did. I went through the system with, without any infraction whatsoever. As a matter of fact, to tell you this, and uh, 
this is something that would be kind of hard to believe nowadays because I'm certain they're not doing that anymore. But when I went to Ashland, Kentucky, I got a job working in the uh, adult education uh, um, with the teacher as an assistant to adult education teacher. I worked at a chaplain's office. I my record was so clean until I got involved with the prison fellowship ministry. Um, they allowed me to go out on two furloughs. One I went to Stylestown, Pennsylvania, and the other one I went to Washington D.C. on a seminar with prison fellowship. Now the the when I went. The second time I went, I went out by myself. No escort. They trusted me to leave, fly wow. to D.C., and fly back to the prison. My record was such that uh, they wouldn't even tell inmates uh, who would inquire about me. Everybody thought that I had gone back to court for something because they didn't want the inmates to know that I was, you know, out by myself. And I, I right. did it. And then after four years in Ashland, I got transferred to the camp in, in Petersburg. And from there home, no infraction during the whole period I was down, no write up at all. Got up, was on probation for the next 10 years. After two years on probation, that was cleared up. The judge, the same judge and clerk that uh, knew me well, uh, issued an order uh, allowing me to be reinstated, my voting privileges and all of that kind of stuff. And after two years, I was back going, working in the, back in the law office, and I don't want to tell you where I went from then. It's, I mean, my life was just, ooh. When I got out, I want to tell you this part, because when I got out, my mom said to me this. She said, son, now you can uh, lie down in a ditch if you want to. You can put your head in the sand if you want to. But all folk going to do is come by and kick more dirt on you. They're going to put your head further in the sand. But if you get up, some of these same folk will give you a helping hand. That was the one time I took my mom at a word. I didn't keep my head in the sand, and I did not. I didn't stay in a ditch. I just I went back to school. I received my master's of divinity degree. I started going part time. In the midst, I married my present wife in nineteen and ninety. And as a matter of fact, July of this year was 33 years. Uh, Congratulations. And, thank you. And, of course, uh, I ended up getting my doctor of ministry. In between all of that, I got called to a church that nobody thought would ever happen with the background that I had. Stayed at this church, hmm. traditional missionary Baptist church, for 32-plus years. Wow. My life. I'll talk about anything else you want to ask me in between. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, let's, let's jump back a bit uh, to like, so you were feeling depressed. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, it sounds like there was a desperation for like, I'm in a hole. Mm -hmm. I don't see a way out. And then it was like, okay, this is not a logical step, but it seems like the only step that's available to me. Mm -hmm. As you look back at it now, like, do you see that there were other options and how do you, you know, talk to other men that are like, oh my gosh, James, I don't know what to do with this situation. How can you see beyond the, you know, the stress, the desperation, kind of the, the walls are closing in type mm -hmm. of, of feeling. How do you look for stuff beyond that where it's like, this is a viable option, but you're just kind of closed off almost like a horse race, uh, uh, a race horse rather with like blinders on how do you look for those other alternatives? Okay. I can, I can answer that question, uh, but it's going to let me digress just a little bit and then I'll, I'll get okay. to where, where I thought that my problem was that I was a compulsive gambler. Okay. Mm. But I, I, uh, knew that I had, I didn't have any more urge to gamble because I, that had happened before I went in. When I was in the middle hospital, it just, faith kicked in. I said, no more. Anything that got me here, I don't want any more. I'm finished with it. Um, and while I was out, uh, after I had been released, I called, uh, gambling anonymous because I wanted to go in, talk with the guys. Uh, it was a, uh, not, it was a gambling anonymous, uh, uh, a place in Chapel Hill. And the director said to me, he says, uh, are you still a compulsive gambler? I say, no, I'm, I'm not a compulsive gambler anymore. And he says, well, I don't know if the, guys would appreciate talking to you because we we really believe that once a gambler, you know, compulsive gambler, always a compulsive gambler, very much like an alcoholic, you know, once you once an alcoholic, always that. I understood it. I had no no problem with that. But I knew within myself that I had no more desire to gamble. Period. It was that playing poker was over. You know, it just was not there. And so when, uh, COVID came in, uh, I decided that, look, I'm around the house, not doing anything. So that's when I decided to write my second book, Deal by Me, second edition, a self evaluation. And I wanted to share what I had learned from what I went through. And in the process of doing this, I was taking a very good, what I call a self-evaluation of my, my life, you know, uh, how I got to where I, I am and all of the, the questions I was trying to answer, uh, because I wanted to, to, to show, you know, what I learned from what I'd gone through. And I concluded, I concluded, uh, during the time that I was writing that book that my problem was not that I was a compulsive gambler, but my my problem was I was afraid to fail. I hope you understand what I'm saying. Mm. I was afraid to fail. And now getting to answer your question, I was the first and only African-American lawyer in Lewisburg, North Carolina. I was this 
first youngest African-American lawyer practicing in the state of North Carolina at the time. Uh, and I had now been practicing about 10 years, and I'm almost down. It was just like I couldn't accept that. It was just like, boy, I, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Now, I, now, as I reflect back on it, I had some alternatives. I could have gone to my granddaddy. My granddaddy owned, uh, well, I couldn't have gone to him because he had passed, but my aunts and uncles, you know, we inherited over 500 acres of land. So, uh, maybe they didn't, they wouldn't cash rich, but they could have, uh, you know, made certain that I would have been okay. Uh, I just, just said, you know, uh, look, I've, I'd have messed up, you know, uh, I need just, I need some help. So there wasn't an alternative, but the alternative to me was not viable because in my mind, I'm thinking that I ought to be the one that they are coming to, not me going to them. Are you following where I'm coming from? And so that, yeah. that's kind of where I, where I messed up at, you know. Uh, I just couldn't see myself, you know, going to anybody because uh, of who I was and that 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 was not the case. But as I look back on it now, that certainly would have been something that I would have done. But I'll be very honest with you. I don't know that that would have helped me. I think that I needed to still get that sentence that I got. Now, I, I I hate to tell that to somebody because nobody wants to go through that. You know? I, I, I hate to tell that. But for me, you know, because if I had gotten the help, if I had gotten the money, I would have been, it would have been the same way. I was, I wouldn't have learned my lesson. I would have continued to, to gamble. I would have continued to do these crazy things. And I would have just messed up that money just like I did the other money. But the fact that I had to go all the way to the bottom and then uh, say, oh, how did I get here was what saved me. Gotcha. So does the the self-reflection and the self-awareness, does that help in that kind of situation? So if we go back and it's like, oh my gosh, James, you know, you're facing those same things. Do you think having been, you know, self-aware and reflecting on the situation where you were at would have been a helpful component even when you're confronting that challenge? Or is that something that's helpful only when you're, you know, not in that, in that valley, in that challenge? You know, I, I know what, where you're coming from, but I know what you're asking me, but I'd be relatively honest. Mm-hmm. And at, for me at that moment, I don't know if I would have changed, yeah. you know, you know, and for some people, they it would have you know they could have changed, but for me, I needed that knockdown, and I, I and I, I I hesitate to to say that because that sounds so you know, but it it's it's what got me 
because I'll be very honest, I just know if I had gotten my hands or my family had gone to the bank and gave me $75,000 and say, look, go pay this guy and get your property back, or pay off these debts and what have you, I would have done it, but I would have still been going to these poker games. I, I, I wouldn't have stopped. I, when I think back on it, even now, I would not have stopped. And I needed that. I just needed it. And uh, I got it. And I don't regret a moment of it. I don't. Now I be, I'll tell you this. I don't want to go through it again. I wouldn't want to go through it again. Okay. <laughs> but I needed it. Okay. I yeah. needed it. What yeah. I think there's certain parts of like the journey that sometimes, you know, I know just like you talked about James, I was not in a place to hear the truth, mm-hmm. much less to act on it. Even if I did go, Hey, yeah, that sounds good. Um, you know, I, I needed to get to a point where it's like, I was willing to hear it and then to take the appropriate action. Um, but you know, it's like still like that self-awareness. Mm-hmm. I, I thought I knew myself. Mm-hmm. I was that prideful and egotistical that it's like, what can you tell me, James? Mm-hmm. Um, I know. You know, I know. Um, you, you've been there, you get it. <laughs> and that's where I was, you know, pride had taken over, you know, like you said, my ego was, was there, uh, cockiness, you know, all of that. I, I just had it, you know, and you, you just could, you couldn't tell me nothing there. You know, I'm, what can anybody else in this Lewisburg town? tell me, you know, I'm this lawyer and nobody, I, nobody else has ever practiced uh, African-American lawyer here and I'm here and I'm the first and, and all over the state, everybody know me and I've done this, I've done that. You know, you can't tell me, me nothing. And so I needed, I, I just needed to be knocked down. I'd be very honest with you. Right. And I got knocked down, but then after I got knocked down, it really, you know, helped me to see it and pull it all together. And then I was able to do what I needed to do. Yeah. I can look back and see that there were times where I just repeated the same mistake over and over. (laughs) It was like, are you not learning the lesson? Nope. Apparently not. (laughs) So it comes back to that same like Mm -hmm. self-awareness you're talking about. Right. It's like if, if I had looked back and gone, Huh. Mm-hmm. I continue to be in the same place yep. out of the same, same thing. It's almost like going into a roundabout right. and just circling and circling and circling and going, yeah, I'll, I'll get to where I'm going. No, you won't. <laughs> it's not until you exit from that roundabout and quit doing the, you know, groundhog day repetition. Exactly right. Exactly. That's exactly right. Hmm. So you ended up continuing on got into the pastorate and then um you know through this stuff how have you you know seen like that change for you continue it doesn't sound like you stopped like hey i'm out i'm done it sounds like you continued to grow like what i I did uh in between and i'll I'll tell you what what happened what what i've done let's see what when i got out uh uh, I, I guess, like, how did you continue to grow? You know what I mean? Like what, 
tools? How did you, you know, like on your shirt there, you know, your, your three things are encouraging, inspiring and transforming. Yeah. How did you continue to transform yourself and your life from that, that spot? Well, I I had a lot of encouragement now. I had a lot, even, even lawyers, uh, encouraged me. Lawyers were there for me. When I got out, when I got out, went to the halfway house, I had to have a job. The next day, without looking for a job, the first place I went to was the courthouse. And when I went to the courthouse, there was a lawyer there practicing who had been practicing probably about uh, five, six years before I started practicing, knew me well. And I just told him I needed a job. And he told me to come by the office. I went by the office the next day. I started working the next day. Hmm. Okay. So I've had the breaks. Uh, I, um, I went to, uh, became moderator of the association that my church is in. Um, and how I start pastoring my church is that, uh, some of these same folk who knew me, uh, knew members at the church. And they knew that my life was changed and they saw what I was trying to do and they recommended me. Ministers got to know me, recommended me, and I became the pastor. And I, oh, I've had people tell me all the time, you know, boy, I don't know. This, that's just unusual. You know, church, uh, employing somebody who has robbed a bank. That's, that's just, uh, you know, but they did. And, uh, it was, and this was a traditional missionary Baptist church with about 200 members, uh, active members of about a hundred on Sunday morning. So, you know, it was a, a, a well established church. Uh, and I became moderator of the association that my church belonged, which consisted of 42 more churches. So I was the moderator of that association. Not only was I became a moderator of that association, uh, when the president of the General Baptist State Convention was elected back in 1998, uh, he chose me as moderator of moderators for the General Baptist State Convention. So I was over all of the moderators in the whole state of North Carolina. Hmm. Tell you one more story, just tell you how I made this journey. Uh, I went to visit a friend in uh, Lewisburg, not, I'm sorry, in Henderson, who was a lawyer during the time I was practicing. Uh, and uh, he told me, he said, Smitty, he said, why don't you check with the state bar and try to do CLE? I think lawyers would really appreciate your story. You know, uh, they just need to, to hear, you know, your story, I think it'd be very motivating for them and inspiring. And I said, and he said to me, he said, uh, you know, Jim Blackburn is, is doing that. And you don't know Jim and he, he doesn't mind me telling us, but he was a very prominent lawyer. Um, and of course, uh, got charged with embezzlement and, uh, he ended up serving some time and the bar, allowed him to do CLE. So he had been doing CLE probably about 10 years earlier. And he was... What is CLE? Continuing Legal Education. 
okay. for the North, Thank you. for the North Carolina State Bar. And he had been doing it about uh, 10 years prior to this time. And so I told him, I, I told my friend, I said, well, Jim is doing it. I said, but his crime was not a violent one. I said, mine was violent. You know, uh, I doubt the bar is going to let me do it. I came back and talked to my wife and my wife said, well, you don't know. You know, you don't have your license anyway, so they can't do it. I said, no, made a whole lot of sense, you know. <laughs> so, so I, I applied. I applied to the North Carolina State Bar to, to, uh, become a, a sponsor of continual legal education. And, uh, they responded and told me that I should hear from them about two weeks. Uh, two weeks came. I hadn't heard anything. Now, Mike, this is going to be interesting to you. When that two weeks come, I hadn't heard anything. I'm sitting there saying, I, I know they're going to probably deny me because all they can see is an African American law, a guy who mm-hmm. robbed a bank. And that's not a pretty, a pretty sight. Okay. So you know what I did? I got dressed, got put on my three piece suit, got me a haircut. I mean, I got a little words that talk down and I, I, I got in my car and I drove over to the North Carolina State Bar. I asked to speak with somebody that was in the, was in continual legal education. A female lady came down and I could tell when she looked at me that a whole demeanor changed. And she said, she said to me, she said, uh, Dr. Smith, she said, I promise you, you'll hear something from us within the next uh, three days. The next three days, I got a letter from them saying, uh, you are approved as a sponsor of continual education, ethics, mental health, and substance abuse for the North Carolina State Bar. That I just became the second, I just became the second uh, lawyer, disbar lawyer, to do, to be a sponsor of the team legal education for the North Carolina State Bar. Uh, ethics is what I taught and mental health and substance abuse. Nobody, mm. Jim Blackburn was one and I was the other one. And the whole state of North Carolina, I did that for 11 years, 11 years. And I only stopped. I could have been doing it right now. I only stopped when COVID came in because when COVID came, I just didn't want to be traveling, you know, over the state again. But I went all over the state. I mean, from from Asheville to Elizabeth City, you name it, uh, doing mm. CLE. So that's how that's the 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 way my life was going. I, I sometimes I sit back and tell my wife, I. I, 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 when am I going to stop? <laughs> you know, I was just, it was going great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love the way you took action and went to find out what's going on. Right. You didn't just like your mom had talked about, right. You didn't just roll over, let it happen. You went and figured out, Hey, where, where do things stand and what do I need to do? Mm-hmm. So well, yeah. Taking action, Makes a huge Makes difference. A big difference. I had to do the same thing for seminary. When I first applied mm-hmm. to go to Southeastern uh, Baptist Theological Seminary, the first time I applied, they didn't accept me. 
I didn't get upset because I mm-hmm. knew why they didn't accept me. Okay. Right. And in my mind, I'm saying to myself, they want to see am I persistent. And I applied the following semester and I was accepted. There you go. <laughs> oh man, James, I appreciate it. No problem. Hey, how can men connect with you outside of this podcast, my friend? Well, they can uh, go to my website, which is www.dealbyme. Everything is deal by me. Dot com. Okay. <laughs> now you might want to know how to, what, what a deal by me come from. I, let me just yeah. tell you that if if you're playing cards and I was playing poker and you don't want your next hand, you said deal by me. That means that I'm finished with it. Mm. So that's how that name came from deal by me. So go to the www.dealbyme.com and you can contact me on the contact page and submit it. Ask me any question you want to. Uh, if you want a, a virtual uh, seminar, you know, you can sign up for that and we can just talk and go through, you know, uh, things that got me through, how I can help you and what have you. Uh, my books are, are, are on my website. My T-shirt is on my website. And, of course, uh, all of my books are also on Amazon.com. That's so anybody wants to contact me, that's how they can do it. Awesome. Well, James, I appreciate it, my friend. Thank you very much. No problem. No problem. I enjoy being with you. Likewise. Thanks so much, my friend, for joining me on another episode. If you found the information within the show helpful, please leave a review on the platform you're listening to. It helps raise the show's visibility so other men can join us in breaking free. See you on the next episode and remember to continue putting yourself out there. Have a great one.